Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's the Clash of the Titans terrifying Halloween Countdown Special! So on Monday's episode, we visited Elm Street to meet a one Mr. Kruger. And today, we're heading to the mean streets of Chicago for a sugar fix. From 1992, we're talking Candyman. We'll have a champion at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Putters! They will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm Chris Tilly. And as you just heard, we are doing another Halloween countdown special. I'm so excited about Halloween. I know it's going to be a weird Halloween because of the situation in the world right now, but it's still my favourite time of year. How excited are you guys for Halloween? I'm super excited. I always have a nice time. Yeah, an excuse to watch horror films, but I do that every other month of the year, so yeah, it's I was say. is what it is. We're going to dress up, maybe. I just did. Oh, I yeah. just did on Monday's episode. I know, but I mean, sort of together, sort of outside. Oh, of work. My, I know you don't like hearing about my kids, but it doesn't matter. Um, I'm, they're all going to dress up as the Ghostbusters for me. Isn't that sweet? Oh, that is sweet. It's really so, so exciting. Have you bought um, little childlike Ghostbusters costumes? No, I'll have be you, making have you made them. them because <laughs> that, that, that doesn't seem to go well for the kids. <laughs> If you've if you've played them Ghostbusters and gone, you're going to look like that. Yeah. Maybe lower their expectations. I'll make them. They won't look very good. Uh, <laughs> are, are, we'll... you, are you going to be Ernie Hudson? No, I'm not going to do that. They they want me because they don't they don't get the film. Uh, they want me to be a wrapped up mummy because they think that's funny. Mummy wrapped up mummy. I was oh, like, oh, did you just explain that to me? Yeah. I, 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 I get it because you're a mummy and a mummy is a wrapped up mummy. I, no, I still need I sometimes work. think you don't see me as a mother, actually. Let's just put that out there. 
I believe you. <laughs> yeah, I believe you've got kids. <laughs> yes, I don't need I don't need evidence, but you know. Oh, I can't wait till they listen to Monday's episode. Oh wait, so you want us to ask if you're going to dress up because you drag up. So what are you going to dress up as? I, I actually haven't decided uh, yet this year. What's I'm, on the shortlist? No, I'm just going to leave it because I'd I'd rather if I tell you the shortlist now and then you see it. I don't just let me surprise you. Is it um, Carol Baskin from Tiger King? That's what you should do. <laughs> That's actually a really solid idea. I but I think a lot of people are going to be dressed Me up too. as her this year. Yeah, I would like to do it. Mm. Uh, if, uh, any ideas, uh, do let us know. We're on Twitter at ClashPod. Love to know what I should dress up as uh, this Halloween. Okay. What, indeed, what any of us should dress up as. Uh, Look forward to getting those tweets. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and do pass them on to me, Chris. Uh, so, this is part two of this week's <laughs> augmented appendage altercation. Thank you very much. Uh, we went through Nightmare on Elm Street on Monday. <clears throat> I took us through that. Today it is the turn of Candyman. As I said, we're going to have a winner at the end of this show. So, will it be Nightmare on Elm Street or Candyman that is victorious, is the new Clash Pod champion... Let's begin at the beginning. Victoria, take us on a journey. They don't build them like that anymore, I hope, because in 1992's Candyman, whatever council estate you grew up in looks like an Ayurvedic spa-breaking paradise compared to Chicago housing estate Cabrini Green, where real murderers and or mythical murderers can climb into your flat through the medicine cabinet as not a cop, Helen, finds out doggedly investigating the murder of Cabrini Green resident Ruthie Jean summoning the legend of Candyman for a laugh saying his name five times into the mirror Candyman Helen then uncovers a faux but also real Candyman terrorising the projects and saves the day for a while because the legend Candyman is not impressed that she's discredited his legend and blood must be shed she obliges murdering everyone she's in a room with for the next 15 minutes or it might be the Candyman not sure baby on a bonfire Helen what happened to your hair the end wait vengeful ghost Helen with cool wig what's the matter Trevor scared of something the actual end very good yeah very good yeah. I feel like I just relived Candyman that's yeah great. that's the job an entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was attacked, mutilated, and burned to death. Poor Candyman. Helen, a woman died in there. Leave it. Everyone knows he isn't real. That's modern oral folklore. Everyone. Except Helen Lyle. Bring it up. It ain't safe around here. That don't scare too easy. Wanna know about Ruthie Jean? They ain't never gonna catch him. Who? Candyman. Who is that? I came for you. Do I know you? Now she is about to discover. Ellen? Mystery. I'm sick. What's behind the legend? Listen, he's under the bed! And most terrifying of all. Come with me. What's behind the mirror? He's here. Candyman, you don't have to believe. Just beware. So this is the second time I've seen this film, but all I remembered, it's another one I watched when I think I was babysitting 
and it was a bit of a dare because obviously the say the name five times that went around the playground it was fucking terrifying all I remembered from this film was bees and <laughs> I didn't remember anything else strange how little the bees are actually in it because I yeah. seem to remember it being very all bee about heavy. bees yeah like, it was mainly about the bees <laughs> and everything else took a back seat but yeah. you watch it it's I mean, not really about bees there's very little bee action in it yeah. uh, so if you go into this movie for if you haven't watched it yet in preparation for the show and you go and looking for bees this isn't the movie for you no. there's a, a limited number of bees what about you two well mine's the same actually as Nightmare on Elm Street I watched a lot of classic 70s 80s 90s horror films when I was about 15 or 16 I spent like a summer watching everything and like Nightmare on Elm Street I thought Candyman was really good mm. and like Nightmare on Elm Street I got to meet Tony Todd a few years later did you and he was awesome like Robert Englund was oh my god he, I'm so like, starstruck like Robert Englund likes being Freddy Tony Todd really likes being Candyman he's magnificent he's, he's so much fun we took him down to the Phoenix Artist Club did you on Charing Cross Road got smashed up with him and he did a picture with everyone and was doing the voice and it was just yeah he's great that's brilliant and he's been really supportive about this remake that's in the works he's actually sounds like really nice about it yeah, yeah well I think he's involved with it now oh good yeah he's, he's, he's some, some more recent tweets have alluded to the fact that his work on it is done so he'll obviously cameo I, I would think passing on the mantle in some way amazing he should do and um, tell me this though did you watch these horror movies when you were 15 you were catching mm. up on all the horror that everyone else had seen yes. when they were younger that you'd been uh, i think i can i can say it, it's not a secret absolutely fucking terrified yeah, scared of watching yeah scared, scared a, a tiny scared man um <laughs> still am um, are you uh uh, were you watching them on your own or were you watching Yeah. Them? Oh, yeah. No, no interested movies in my household apart mm-hmm. from me. So I'd get them out from the video store and stay up late and watch them on my own. Did, so it was nighttime because I, mm-hmm. I, I used to watch I used to watch horror movies on my own as well. But I like other kids would be like, do you want to come and play bikes? Do you want to go play football in the street? And I'd be like, absolutely not. I mean, one of those is OK. The other I'm not interested in. So I draw <laughs> the curtains and watch like just horror movies on my own in the living room and become. Yeah. Uh, if you see photos of me, I was a very, very pale child with huge eyes. Who would eyes. have thought that you'd grow up to be as socially confident as <laughs> and and well integrated within your communities as you both are? Mm-hmm. She said. <laughs> no one. Because the the markers were there for you to like go a bit weird, but you didn't. Well, I had sport to keep me level. That's true. My team sport with lots of friends and lots of outdoors activities. So I was fine. Alex, I'm not sure. Hang on. I had tabletop wargaming to keep Mm. me level, which is a sport. (laughs) On on my own with the curtains drawn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's my move. And now it's my move again. Uh, so my history with this movie is uh, not dissimilar. Uh, I, I watched it. Uh, of you went age. to the Phoenix with Tony Todd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got smashed up, got some photos with him. It was great. Uh, I did get a photo with him. His hand is as big as my head. It's so weird. He's a giant man. He's a giant. A giant man. Yeah, um, I watched it of an age where... I think maybe I watched this with other people. So it was a social event in my calendar. Um, and we did try and say Candyman five times mm-hmm. into the mirror afterwards and we couldn't. No one could do it. <laughs> no. Brilliant. It was genuinely really so, scary. So he has lived on. Yeah, mm. which he'll be pleased to know. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna walk you through some background. Oh, lovely. Please Are do. you ready? Yeah. Hold our hands. I can hold your hand if you want to. I sort of meant metaphorically. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, uh, that's really distracting. Okay, don't don't so, touch me. I don't like to do <laughs> Um, very clammy. So, directed by Bernard Rose from his script based on a Clive Barker short story called The Forbidden. So, let's just delve into how this happened. Now, Clive Barker knew Bernard Rose from his work on The Paper House. Have you seen The Paper House? Yes. So, I knew you would have done. And when I read that, I was like, I, have, I haven't seen The Paper House. And then I Googled it and saw the 
cover and mm. just had one of those weird like retrieved memories and I have seen it and it scared the living shit out of me and I don't know how old I was must have been really really young and I can't remember anything that happened just but before those... lockdown just before lockdown it screened at the BFI and Bernard Rose did a, a Q&A there and I had I didn't go but I had some friends who went and said it doesn't quite hold up okay but it was it was a very effective horror film back yeah. in the day yeah Terrifying. and it's a British horror film which there wasn't a lot of yeah. Um, so uh, Clive and Bernard have a shared agent, which is always fascinating. And they so they're put together um, and they agree to work on The Forbidden, but to relocate it to the US because it was originally set in Liverpool. Um, and the decision was made to reset it uh, because American money is going to pay for it. And, and also and also one of the reasons is, as we talked about previously on the podcast, Clive was so upset at the American-English redub of Hellraiser. <laughs> Which is so bad. He's like, I can't have this happen again. <laughs> no. I'm fine for you to take it to Chicago. Yeah. Um, and the, But the Cabrini Green setting, that's a real housing project. Um, Clive Barker was happy with that. It says, you know, it worked perfectly well. Now... Big thing here, there is the addition of the medicine cabinet, which isn't in the Forbidden. Now, is that true? I haven't read the Forbidden, but this is what I read, that there's no medicine cabinet um, conceit. Yeah. Not for me to do that research this yeah. week. <laughs> That's really on you. Sure, your job. Or maybe yeah, maybe yeah, text me to say, yeah, I expect yeah. you to have read the source material <laughs> yeah. this week. Anyway, also, also, let's I, I, can't, I can't remember, feel. Like, I'm, I'm already feeling that this podcast, uh, this episode is going to have a real fixation on the medicine cabinet. And I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know that yeah. it's that big a part of it. Are you kidding me? I, 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 oh, I'll tell you what. Let me finish. <laughs> okay. Jesus Christ. Okay. Maybe, no, yeah. maybe finish the forbidden and then tell us. <laughs> now, listen, listen, hold up. Mm. Okay. In 1987, a woman called Ruthie Mae McCoy. Okay. Now, bear that name in mind because it's important later. She's living in the projects in Chicago. She dials 911 and she says to the operator, they throw the medicine cabinet down, but nobody came, right? So nobody comes for a while because she's living in the projects and that's just the way it is. When they finally go to her house, she's been murdered. She's been shot four times, okay? But this doesn't really make the news because a murder in the projects was not considered to be that newsworthy, which is terrible. Later that year, a writer called Steve, it's Bagheera or Bagheera, I'm not sure, um, wrote an article called They Came In Through the Bathroom Mirror and it talked more about Ruthie's life, um, what her home was like, what her life had been like up to that point. Now, he says several months after that story ran, he got a call from John Malkovich, who was so appalled by these nightmarish conditions that Steve had written about in the article that he wanted to bring that to the big screen and he wanted to direct or produce a film like that. And Steve Begari felt a little bit sort of uh, wary of it, a bit queasy about it, because what you'd have then is the lead character being a white reporter investigating this medicine cabinet killing and it didn't feel right to him. He's uncomfortable about that. The idea of a movie about poor black people focusing on a middle-class white person, mm. which is interesting because obviously the way it turned out. Um, so, you know, that all just sort of goes away. And then Steve Begira said in this article, on lo and behold, you know, it sort of turns up again in Candyman and maybe these conversations made their way to the producers, which is his take on it. I don't think, I mean, you know, it, it did make bigger news eventually because of the sort of gruesome fascination with this medicine cabinet thing, mm. because it's real. Like those housing projects, they were built like that for real. Um, so there Jeez, we go. I get nervous when I'm in a hotel room and there's a door through to the next room. They don't really do it anymore, but on like old chintzy hotels, I think it might be a fire precaution. No, thing. it's for, and also for family rooms because they can then uh, sell it as a family room because right, right, you stick right. the kids in there. Yeah, I don't like it. No, it unnerves me. I, I I double lock the door in hotel rooms if I'm in a hotel room because you know if you just uh, who knows who's got a master key card. <laughs> 
Yes, you should always double. You should always lock your doors. I, I don't. I, I don't know if everyone does. I mean, this is you know public service here. Uh, you should double lock your doors. Use the I box. didn't until you told me that, and I was like, oh, why haven't I done that before? I lock my doors all the time. Well, I'm kind of hoping someone will come in. <laughs> I am not. I leave, leave it ajar with some money on the floor. A little trail of sweets. Mm. <laughs> Anyway, um, back to Bernard Rose. So they, uh, he pitches his adaptation of The Forbidden to propaganda films. That gets picked up. Um, and that's it. Uh, Clive Barker is executive producer, uh, distributed by TriStar, did Respectable Business um, in October '92. That's as far as I got. We actually didn't do the connection. Both of these movies, Candyman Today and Nightmare on Elm Street, they were, they were franchise starters as well. That's another connection. Both of them uh, did well enough and had iconic enough characters that they became franchises. Yeah. Yeah. But with them being an, an English production coming to Chicago to tell this story, there were some questions behind the scenes about how they were going to deal with race. Yeah. Um, and this, these are the words of Bernard Rose. We asked the NAACP to vet the script and they had some concerns about the film repeating the trope of the black man as someone to be feared. Yep. I argued that a very strange thing happens in horror movies. People actually sort of identify with the boogeyman. It's him they dress up as, not the victim. And Candyman is almost an avenging angel. But it's an interesting thing. I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get into the film. Yeah. And on certainly on the Blu-ray that, um, that Arrow released, they've got a couple of African-American sort of academics talking about it and they were saying that the only reason this really worked at that time is if there were black heroes on the screen at the same time as a black villain and there yeah. were at that time we were just getting the Denzel Washington and Wesley Snipes movies and they were saying if this had been 10 years earlier this would have been a bit more problematic yes but it doesn't go, I mean we'll talk about it but it doesn't go far enough no agreed of... I agree it gets stuff right and it gets stuff wrong yeah. I think it's fair to say yeah I've got lots to say um, so that's exciting um do should we talk about the film then mm. so we start with an ominous voiceover which alex has done a fair impression of Thanks. um what's blood for if not for shedding it's for lots of things actually Candyman. but let's not worry about <laughs> it semantics <laughs> yeah it's pretty fucking scary when you say it like that so it's fine and mm. we meet helen we get that score though I, oh I only, yeah I it's amazing because when chris and i chris and i were talking about this uh, when you were off uh, yeah, and i was excited I, for you to hear it it's <laughs> absolutely incredible the score can i play a little bit would that be all right victoria of course okay here we go this is the score to Candyman. <laughs> i love it So good. I so didn't like good. that. Song. It's really. It's, just... it's, it's a. It's one of Philip Glass's greatest <laughs> compositions. It's it's a scene setter. You yeah. get the tone of the movie. It stays uh, with you immediately. Yeah. Uh, no, shall I actually play the real score now? Because uh, it's it's just marvelous. Looking at me like this. You don't. You don't want that bit, did you? No, not that bit. Oh, I love that bit. That's the. Do, bit. Do, 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 do. I, the, the, I thought you were going to do the theme. The refrain. Oh <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't have that. <laughs> I would suggest if you want to play uh, the exact clip from the theme that you want, you you bring your own. I don't. Bloody think, clip. I don't think we've got copyright permission, so I don't think it. Don't would... say that out loud. <laughs> We all live in this grey area. 
Jesus Christ! <laughs> but the actual proper bit of music, um, I, I, I've got about, I've got a playlist on my Spotify that's got like three hundred pieces of classical music and film scores. And whenever for the, about the first year, whenever that came on, I'd always have to look up, thinking, "What film is that come from?" And I'm always surprised it's Candyman because I guess it's just so unlike um, your average horror score. Slash it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it like. It, it, Nightmare on Elm Street's a prime example. Everyone was doing the John Carpenter electro score mm. in the 80s and 90s, and this they just came in and just completely destroyed it. Uh, just to avoid any kind of uh, issues, could you just hum the bit that you want so I can go away and... I'm not a singer. No, I'm not a singer. <laughs> no, you're not. Was that the A-team? Move on. <laughs> All right, so we've covered off. We've got Helen. She collects urban legends. Her husband has a little bit of a wandering eye and she's learning about Candyman. And the legend is you can summon him if you say his name five times. So uh, let's talk about Helen and where she lives because that will help us get into some of the um, complications around race relations that underpin this film. So Helen herself lives in a project-style building and she figures out that her medicine cabinet goes through to next door. Next door, handily, is empty. Now, the legend is that Candyman has been coming in through medicine cabinets in Cabrini Green and killing people. So she checks out that she's also got this sort of quirk in her building, but she is not at all bothered that next door can get into her house. Now, it's explained that the flat is empty next door, but it won't be empty for long. Is that a play on the fact that as a white person in an affluent neighbourhood, what has she got to worry about? Mm, She doesn't feel the danger. She's more concerned. Mm. She's messing around with her friend Bernadette. They summon the Candyman, but there's never a conversation where it's like, fucking hell, anyone can come through to your house. Like they are doing over on, quote marks, the wrong side of the tracks, right. as she points out. He doesn't really show up, though, does he? That's the, the, no, he doesn't. He, he's supposed for to a show long up. Time. He's supposed to show up exactly when you go Candyman five times into the mirror, as is proved in the, the Sam Raimi, uh, not the Sam Raimi, the Ted, Ted Raimi yeah. opening, where he, she goes, Candyman, 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 Candyman. And he's like, Hello, <laughs> I'm going to split you from the groin to the gullet. And he does. And then Helen does it. And it's like, it's a, a good 40 minutes in, yeah. in movie time, days uh, within the film before he goes, sorry, it's a, you said it five times. I only, <laughs> I caught the first four, but I'm here now. <laughs> sorry, I'm late. Um, so Helen finds out about the murder of a woman called Ruthie Jean. So like I said, the real woman, Ruthie Mae McCoy, um, it's interesting. So she's been murdered, so she's told, by Candyman in Cabrini Green. So Helen and Bernadette dare themselves, kind of, to go into the projects um, as two sort of like quite well-heeled women constantly repeating that they're not cops, they're not cops, they look like cops, but they're not cops. And it's the first point... It's weird, though, that bit, because... She sees, she goes, why have you got us dressed up like cops? Yeah. And then she sort of like sort of starts going, we're not cops, but at the same time... She's dressed like they're cops because when she walks in, she goes, they think we're cops and they're mm-hmm. not going to hassle us. So she does want to actually look like cops. Yeah. Right. Because okay. she needs a bit of, she needs to buy herself a bit of time. It's an uncomfortable watch because they are saying that it's difficult. Are they the people that are respectful of the situation that these people live in? Whereas these other sort of professors, and particularly her husband, may not be. But the minute they get into the projects, they're like, oh my God, it's awful. <laughs> and they're like, snap, mm. snap, snap, and taking pictures. And it's like poverty tourism. And this is 
not the way you make a film because this would take ages, but in the real world, the way you would do that is to connect with a local group, a local church group, find your access, do all that. But you don't just walk in and go, yeah, we're not police. Yeah. And then sort of run up the stairs. Like it, it kind of shatters the idea that they're doing it right kind of thing. In fairness, Bernadette is the voice of reason in this scene because she, yeah. she's like, Helen, leave it. Leave it. <laughs> I think she actually said, just leave it. Just leave it, man. And then it's a little bit of revenge though, which I really like. There's a, a lovely moment where Helen pisses off through the medicine cabinet into the other room and Bernadette's like, I need to sit down. Not sitting on that. Ooh, Helen's coat's on the floor. And she picks <laughs> up her coat and hangs it over the bath and like as a way of going, I didn't want to come, so I'm going to use your fucking coat <laughs> before I sit coat. on this bath. And it's an expensive coat, I can tell. <laughs> and also, you, you know, you're saying she's the voice of reason here. She was the voice of reason behind the scenes as well. Uh, the actress Cassie Lemons, who plays the best friend here. She's the best friend in Silence of the Lambs, yeah. which was previously covered. I think she got sick and tired of playing the best friend and she's a very fine director in her yeah, own right. But um, Bernard Rose said, I tried to listen to the black actors and specifically her and not fall into the Hollywood trap of imposing racial stereotypes and to make people rounded characters, not ciphers or caricatures. As I say, some he got right, some he got wrong, I think, but uh, she was apparently a real guiding light on, on the behind the scenes of this film. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, let's just let's just deal with it now. Like, I think Bernard Rose is working within the constraints at the time, which is like people may have been saying, you know, you can't do certain things because this this is just the system. But we still have a middle class white woman telling this story. And um, and Bernadette is the sidekick. And Candyman's story is much more interesting than Helen's. And you could say that at the end, she's the white saviour as well. Oh, for sure. Fuck so, it. We'll get to that. Jesus. So- so yeah, the the setup and payoff is is not maybe as it could be or is going to be in this new version that we're going to see. Yeah, coming I think out. I mean for Cabrini Green itself, because of the horrible things that really happened in Chicago housing projects, which are so more intense, I think, than what happens in you know of, of maybe not I don't know our worst council estates, whatever. It's just I think Bernard Rose has done a good job of not being like look at this shitty life, but also it is it's, it's a very very scary place and it seems very scary. But it has let's remember this is a horror movie and it, it, you want it to be scary. And the one thing from the start, like the cinematography, even that shot over the top of the city, and when you first visit Cabrini Green, like the cinematography, it's it's, it's just a film that feels like so bleak. Yeah, like it does. it's horribly ominous. Like so much of it from just the way it's shot. Yeah. So like we said, Helen and Bernadette are in Ruthie's apartment. They go through the medicine. Well, Helen goes through the medicine cabinet. And there's some things here that we, when we sort of talking about the themes, I found it, it's quite patchy. I found it a bit annoying. So she's gone through to the apartment. She doesn't realise she's sort of in Candyman's lair. And there are sweets on the floor with razors in them. Mm. And it's like, oh, that's scary. But what is that meant to signify? Exactly. I don't know. Like, I've just found that like, okay. I assumed that it was someone leaving sweets to the sweets, but it was a sort of a a half-baked attempt to kill the Candyman. Like you go, oh, my offering. You like sweets. Sweets for the sweet. And he'd (laughs) eat one and go, oh, Oh, God. Yeah. But also, I feel like there's an element of judgment there where the, these people live like in squat. They're, they're living in squalor here. Yes. Um, which, again, I don't think is the message that you want to be getting across. It's these people want to get out of this place. Yeah. Well, then you've no got. No one wants to live here. No, but then you've got Anne Marie next door. So Anne Marie next door uh, with her baby. She's done her apartment up. It looks nice. She's very much like the character that's going to say, I am keeping my head down and raising my child yeah. and I'm going to get out of here. And she, for the story, she gives credence to the myth that there is a candy man climbing through medicine cabinets and killing people and she heard Ruthie Jean and all the rest of it. So the trouble is, 
we are now sort of, we've not seen Candyman properly. Like you've said, it's not till about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. And it's not till we get to the next scene, that the, the biggest scene for me, which is the dinner with this like smug English prick. <laughs> and Helen and Bernadette are in some sort of urban legend one-upmanship. <laughs> And they're like, we're going to bury you, smug English prick. And it's like, I don't really care about that. Like, you're why, did he, to... why did he give the story to that character? That's what I'm it's saying. So... It's just so bad. Like, <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. So two things You've literally me... just been with a woman who could have told you this story. Yeah. And it would have been so much more effective. And the trouble is, when you see Tony Todd, like, you're like, he's amazing. Maybe he could tell the yeah. story. Yeah. Like, um, Do you want to tell the story? Well, so two things. Just first of all... Maybe it would have been better if they actually were cops and just very ambitious ones because she's like, I'm going to get my PhD. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Is that such a big deal? Um, but then another issue I have with it, apart from the fact that it's a big white English dickhead taking you through the legend of Candyman, all these disparate themes are sort of circling around and they never coalesce for me properly. And it's very distracting. Um, it doesn't make it a bad film, but it's just... The English prick is like, okay, here we go. Candyman was the son of a wealthy shoemaker mm. who went to the finest schools and all the rest of it. He was an artist. He um, was killed. He had his hand chopped off. Then he was uh, then he was covered in honey and eaten by stung by bees. Hungry bees. Hungry bees. Yeah. But he was killed. He was killed for falling in love with a white woman. Falling in love with a white woman and getting her pregnant. Yeah, I just, I don't know that if you're covered in honey, like. Bees will eat. Yeah, I keep saying that. That's not. They're not. I don't. Eating it. No, I don't. Don't. I, I. It's. It's a really it, the way he says it is like. And then he was covered in honey, mm. and there's the expectation that the audience is going to go <gasps> bees, and the bees then. But if the, if he was covered in honey, the bees are going to sting him to death. It's not. It's not like blood and sharks. It's not like ah oh, yeah, bees will sting you if you've got honey on you. I mean, they'll yeah. sting you if they if they create a scenario where Candyman. Uh, like they basically made it look like he'd stolen their honey, sort of left all the honey round him and being like, oh, he's got your honey. Then the bees would be like, you've stolen our honey. And we shall have our revenge. Maybe that's what they were thinking. Maybe because but he was covered in honey, they were like, you've been in our What's a shoemaker got to do with anything though? When he was like, and the man, Candyman's dad made a very important thing well, for the manufacturer it's, it's of It's because shoes. his father was a slave. Yeah. So then I guess they had to have some way for him to have made money having been a slave. By making sweets. No, sure, sure. Yeah, not shoes. <laughs> he shoes, just like, okay. And then, and then, and then, and then they had his hand yeah, yeah. cut off and okay. So... And then they put his body on a giant pyre and burnt it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but you've got, again, the shoe man. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. So no. lose the shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. You see what I'm Rather saying? Rather than carrying the shoe theme through to his name. <laughs> Rather than working that shoe theme to death <laughs> to make it work. Yeah, Mr. Clog. Just lose, <laughs> yeah. One not, lose the shoes. Yeah. And all your problems are solved. All your problems that I've invented that you obviously didn't think were problems. Alan flip-flop. <laughs> Something like that. It doesn't work. Anyway, it is a shame that Candyman's story is twice removed because this film tells a story through the lens of this white woman and her disintegrating mind and her marriage is kind of tacked onto that but it's not even her that tells the story or uncovers the story it's this other dude that tells the story um, and it, you know the story and the, the new the one that we're waiting for will touch more on racial trauma and the history within the US of race relations and slavery and the current state of affairs and the police never go to these places and all of that but this film understandably as a product of its time doesn't do that but watching it today you're just like oh that's just a bit jarring mm. Um, 
And then Helen, lovely Helen, goads a child into giving her access to Candyman, which is a bit off, like sort of reverse psychology's a kid, <laughs> um, which is going to take us to a very important scene in a public toilet, which we'll talk about after a short break. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Join me, Melissa Reddy, and listen to my brand new podcast, Between the Lines. I'll be speaking to the biggest names in football about the captivating, behind-the-scenes stories fans want to hear. From major talking points to untold anecdotes, you'll hear from some of football's leading stars as well as those working in the shadows. In our first episode, I spoke to former Spurs manager Maurizio Pochettino about that Amazon documentary. We feel responsible because it was uh, very difficult to say yes to open the door to Amazon. Only we watch with Jesus the 25 minutes first because it was until we uh, left the club. And on our latest episode, I investigate how prevalent and damaging social media abuse is in football. And I was like taking all this negativity onto myself and I did. I kind of lost myself and my personality because I knew everything that was going on around it. And it's not until I actually got to a stage where I thought, I can't take this anymore. It is becoming too much for me that I spoke out about it. Craving football insight? Well, look no further. Listen to Between the Lines with me, Melissa Reddy, via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. This was a Stakhanov production. Okay, so 
But the next biggest scene for me is the public bathroom. Ah, this is this, this is, is so dark. It's incredible and terrifying. It's incredible, and it's it's astonishing that they they put it in because it's not the kind of thing you you hear about. No, yeah, because it is another story being told. You know, within a story, within a story, but it's so graphic and so upsetting, and it really works. Yep, uh, and it just the flashback is so traumatizing, mm. but. Though when she goes into the bathroom and she's, I mean, doesn't work on a podcast, but she's like, oh, and they're like, oh, fuck. But then. But she shouldn't be because apparently the shit smeared on the walls was chocolate digestive biscuits. So that would have smelled delicious. That would have smelled delicious. But she is, after all, a a talented actress. And so they go, don't, no, Virginia, (laughs) stop licking the walls. (laughs) It's meant to be poop. (laughs) I still can't believe she's like looking in the stalls and it's obviously the world's worst public toilet it's but it's done it, it's done brilliantly but it you you sort of go yeah i can imagine i mean it looks like it should look like that on the inside from the outside um, yeah but do, are you going to tell the actual story or are you are you just going to wait for people to watch the movie about what actually happened in that public toilet oh no you can tell it if oh, you want i don't really want to so there was um a child do you want me to tell the story why are you looking at chris like that i don't know because he pulled a face like hey, oh is it because he gets his penis cut off is yeah. that why you don't want to talk about it all oh, right sorry but it's, it, it, that's what i mean when i sort of talk about it being such a shocking story and like just so like i remember when i was watching this at the weekend i just sort of went this this movie is doing an excellent job of painting such a horrific it like takes yeah. you to a place just this story because a child goes in and the candy man removes his genitals yeah. and then they find a, a child it's and they awful. find them floating in the toilet bowl it's really really terrible but it also not to be too cynical but it's also another reason why it was so it caught on fire in the playground because that's to the kids of our age mm. we're like oh my god you'll never guess yeah. kind of thing also it wasn't the candy man that did it was it wasn't it that gangster? I think so. Yeah, I think the idea well, is Well, they that pin it on him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is another what you know weird thing, kind of wallowing in the black-on-black yeah. violence. It's it's weird. I think it's it's weird when it conflates those two things. Sorry. I I <clears> thought it I thought it was the Candyman because... The, le- the, the mystical Candyman. The mythical, the mythical. legend Candyman, the Tony Todd Candyman okay. actually did it because he the the guy who uh, runs in to try and save the kid comes out and his hair goes completely white yes which is exactly what happens to ted Raimi at the start his they talk about his hair going yep. completely white That's so true. you've got to imagine it's actually the legend Candyman who did it okay all right yeah which makes him into a much less sort of romantic villain sure and more <laughs> a horrible child mutilator well i i can't make sense of why he's killing black people you know because he kills bernie as well and it's yep. like, you know, if the, the, what makes sense for this character is he's killing white people because he got lynched. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's just lots of little contradictions. or just Which, little... Yeah, but then we do kind of get that because... Do you, am I allowed to talk about stuff that happens at the end or am I going to get bollocked? I, I, you just, you it's just the way I do it. it yourself. Yeah, figure, he's okay. desensitized to it now, Chris. Okay, he's, he's fine. I so gave up. <laughs> when Helen kind of turns into the new Candyman and she's within her apartment complex, mm. she's going to be killing white people. No? So he's, like, created... I agree but with he, you, Chris, that... But he thrives. Like, his whole... His power comes from his legacy and his congregation, as he calls them, yes. are the people living at Cabrini Green, and they are his congregation. That is, yeah. like, that He gets his power from the fear that they have at that location, yeah. which is where That's I true. think he was murdered. Yeah, uh, well, it's where he, the bonfire was. The, where the bonfire that burnt him... Was so by default that is where he has to maintain his legacy, and so by default mm. he's killing the people who live there. But is, so is Ted Raimi there at the start of the film, 
Or is he somewhere up the road and he's gone down there to kill him? As I say, I feel like there's just little contradictions within the... There's a lot of threads. And on, let's just talk very quickly about Helen's in the worst toilet you've ever been in in your whole life. And there's one toilet with a closed lid and she fucking opens that lid. Mm. And that stays with me because what exactly... She wasn't hoping to find bees, I'm sure of that. But what else exactly was she hoping <laughs> to find? It just... Like, I was like, you're a very brave lady, but... Um, that's... Renton. She'll find Renton. <laughs> yeah. What's the worst toilet you've ever been in, guys? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, there was this one. Uh, 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 the well, the old CBGB's like bar in New York didn't have a door. I find toilets that don't have doors quite disconcerting. I didn't have a sit down visit, so <laughs> it was fine. Um, I, I remember going to an ice hockey match in France when I was a kid. Okay. And someone had done a gigantic turd in a urinal. And I just have no idea how they managed to do all that. Wow. Just a really, really long, thin one. Oh, what? Well, they're standing up. <laughs> Pretty much in a urinal. It was quite a sight. Oh, my God. Who was a kid at my middle school who um, got into trouble and wasn't allowed to do PE. I guess he loved PE, but he was told to wait in the classroom uh, in, in his uniform and not come and do PE. And in the time he was in the classroom, he went and did a big poo on the in the corner of the toilet floor. As a protest? As a protest, Good yeah. for him. A dirty, <laughs> dirty protest. Good for him. It smelled like chocolate digestion. <laughs> oh, gross. You are disgusting. Uh, mine is that there's a campsite in Dunkirk. Don't go there. It's so vile. Like, we had to go in in, like, gasps. You'd go in, you'd be like, and then you'd be like, I can't. It's unbelievable. It was horrific. Were you camping there as well? Yeah, we were in the van, and so we had to use the facilities, um, and it was beyond horrendous. Yeah. I find those toilets that are designed where, for some reason, and they don't, I think they're usually abroad, where they have a kind of a plateau before the dip. and it, The shelf, yeah. Yeah, there's a shelf. And if, if people, for whatever reason, like, no, it's there don't, for a reason. don't flush them, though, yeah. like, then the, the, the mm. stool can just, like, it just sits there, caught on there, just like, and that's the smell, you see. It's like, it's fine. Because yeah. in theory, you could just go in and flush it away. But the, in that time that it's taken the next person to visit, the smell has got a new life. It's dissipated around the room. What about Candyman? Mm. Anyway, so uh, Helen, this is quite this is a very brutal scene. But Helen, she has fucked with the wrong people, and so she gets the shit kicked out of her. Um, yeah. Good makeup on that mm. black eye. Mm. Yeah, awful. really, really, really good. Um, but that leads to we'll just say the fake Candyman arrested, and he has the murders pinned on him. Um, but then. Everything looks like it's going great for Helen because she's had the shit kicked out of her. Um, but her book's going to be published and it's all good. And then Bernadette's like, I'll see you later. And you think, uh-oh, never mind. And then Candyman appears in a car park. Yeah. And also, I mean, if you have just been hit with a giant hook and like, I know some time has passed because her face is looking better. But yeah, I just, I wouldn't wander around a multi-story car park on your own. No. I think I'd be a bit scared of being in that situation at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Candyman's here finally with his sort of just magnificence and his voice and everything. And it it just Come. makes you think, like, where have you been? Like, it's such a shame. Yeah. Uh, Alex, are we going to get a Candyman impression from you? Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> uh, although I do have a very good one, but uh, but no, I'm not going to do it. The, uh, in the, in the, one of the documentaries on the Blu-ray that Virginia Madsen's talking about, this, this famous story about Bernard Rose taking her to a hypnotist for these scenes. And she said when she got there, she told the hypnotist that this won't work on me. I'm, I don't, I'm not susceptible to that kind of thing. And then she said, suddenly I realised my arm was in the air. 
and he'd hypnotised me already. Oh, I don't like that. And so, and Bernard was with her, and and he was giving her like a secret word to 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 put her in a trance. And it worked. They went on sets. The set would have to be quiet. It was, it was only for the scenes where she was in the presence of Candyman. And he would say the word and she would go into this trance. Um, she said she wasn't really aware of her surroundings when this was happening. And you can see her eyes are dilating when he's talking to her and you've got these close-ups on her. And um, she's not blinking either in those scenes. You know what this and sounds like to me? Bollocks. R- roofies. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, no, she said one day she couldn't really remember anything that they'd shot that exactly. day. And she said to him, don't do it again. So that was it. They stopped. And she said, I wouldn't do it now. I was so inexperienced. But it was very effective. That's weird. I... I'm still, I'm too much of a cynic about hypnotism. Me too. I just, I don't believe it. I, I don't believe it. I think people are just, it's the desire to play along and the desire to not go, yeah, sorry, mate, your job is uh, rubbish. And it doesn't work. You go, oh, yeah. No, Alex, uh, yeah. your arm is in the air right now. <laughs> it's not, though. <laughs> and it never will be. <laughs> I will never put my arm up, Chris. Yeah, I'm not convinced. Not convinced. So um, we're getting to the section of the film where things ramp up. Um, Helen wakes up covered in blood in Anne-Marie's apartment. The baby's gone. Um, and it's explained to us that Candyman is pissed off because she's wrecked his legend. This is such a, a turn in yeah. the movie. I, and I couldn't, I hadn't remembered this at all. And I was so shocked. And I thought, well, this will last for five minutes or ten minutes. But no, this is it That's now for the rest are, of the movie. Yeah. And I, that that really surprised me because that that is different to, to, to what you normally get from these movies. Yeah. Um, the plight that she's in is so it's so much more dramatic than simply a baddie's coming to get her. It's... Mm. But it felt like a dream for ages. Mm. So that threw me. And I and I also thought the baby was dead because of the way that mm-hmm. Anne-Marie's over the crib. Mm. Um, and then the crib, it's really silly, but obviously I was fixating on these little points because it's a very brooding film. It's very atmospheric and the music um, helps with that. But the crib isn't the same crib that you saw before. So I was like, oh, it's a dream. And it's not. And so it took me ages to get over that. And but then... I like that because you're supposed to think it's a dream. Yeah. And I liked how long it was going on for. And then, until you, found, oh, you you suddenly come to realise, oh, no, this is this is the world now. This is her world now. And, and, and also they keep flashing back to that hysterical mother, which is so disturbing. Yeah. I was interested in trying to work out who pulled her coat over her? Because she wakes up on the bathroom floor, but she's using a coat like a duvet. Uh, like a duvet. Yeah. So... I mean, did she put it over her? Did Candyman put it over her? Like, did I he, think he might have done. He's, he he's in love her? with her. He's in love with her, so he might have done that to sort of keep her warm. I just think it's it's quite strange that... Uh, I mean, this is hypnosis for you. It's quite strange she's gone there, chopped a dog's head off, uh, hidden a baby, and then decided to have a nap in the bathroom and gone, oh, a bit uncomfortable, but nippy, and then pulled the... Uh, pulled no, the I think over. Candyman's done all those things and, put, and just put her to sleep. Right. Yeah, because okay. he's taken the baby. Has he's she... got he's got the baby. Yeah, or she could have put it there though. I guess. Him. Yeah, no, he's taking the baby back to his lair. So is he just? I, I've he's doing all these things to manipulate her so that she will join him and die with him and be with him forever. So he is fully aware of the way things are being perceived. Like for example, when with in the doctor's room. Yeah, where... that's why he undoes. This is the so Bernadette gets killed. That's a shame. It could have been a bit more surprising. Helen ends up in psych mm. and wants to prove that it's not her. It's Candyman. Where does she end up? Right. I yeah. thought you meant she ends up psych. No. <laughs> right. Shush. Okay. But yes, you're right. So she summons Candyman, who then kills what is a member of her defence team. So that's foolish, but nonetheless. And mm. he undoes the straps. So everyone will be like, we don't know how you did it, Helen, but you undid these straps and you killed this man brutally. I love the way he leaves in that scene. 
backwards, is, oh, yeah, that's backwards awesome. through a window. It's a little bit Batman. It's cool. oh, shit, yeah, it is, but in yeah. a very cool way. He, uh, he puts his hook to good use here, and it's interesting how they came by that hook. Uh, you know, a lot of this was done in England. They found a blacksmith <laughs> to forge it for £30, exactly what they wanted, so that's good value. Mm. Uh, and they went to pick it up sort of the day before shooting, and he asked them what it was for, and they told them it's for this Clive Barker horror film. And he said to them, I love the Lord Jesus, and you are Satan's spawn. You're not having this. And you wouldn't give it? No, so they had to, they had to quickly do one. On the night before. Out of, what do you mean? Uh, well, they just learned to be blacksmiths. <laughs> well, I mean, they're special effects guys, but it wasn't this fantastic. They, they said it wasn't as good as the one that this guy had made, but yeah, he just said you're not having it. I quite like it because it's really functional. I, I, was, yeah. I couldn't remember what it looked like and I was really worried it was going to be very Captain Hooky. Mm. Uh, and actually it looks no. very... I think the idea initially was supposed to be his whole arm, but then they were like, this isn't practical yeah. for, for, for Tony. And so, yeah, no, it's it's a good it's a good weapon. The Doctor murder is really good. Uh, I do enjoy the, the surprise when he just goes... Um, but if you're a nurse who works in a psych ward mm-hmm. and uh, you're in the neighbouring room and someone who is clearly a patient, dressed as a patient, <laughs> appears on a ledge at the window, covered in blood, you go, oh, hello, come in. Come on, come on in. Get, get in here. What's going on out there? You don't. You go, what the fuck are you doing? Security! <laughs> I just couldn't believe how casual that nurse is like, all right, and you come. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, Helen's on the run, uh, dressed as uh, another nurse or a patient. She's on the run while Candyman's letting a baby suck his finger. What? That's so weird, though. <laughs> now, I was going to... I knew you'd pick up on this. Do you know why that is? Uh, no. It's it's a, it's something that you... that you, you Is it like a pacifier yeah, stand? So, yeah, yeah. Well, just the way you said it, you Sorry. were like, that just seemed... Like, maybe you thought it was somewhere else? No, no, but... no, no, not something pervy. You know, it might be teething away, but it's something, there's something... No, it's, un... not, it's not for teething, it's to, because it mimics a nipple or a bottle. Yeah, so but it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's a strange image for our, our villain in a horror film to be doing that. Yes. To pacify a baby. But it happens at exactly the right time, or it sort of does, because... At this point, I was like, well, the baby has been gone for X amount of time. It's like, I think by this point, she has been in there. So in, this the, is... in the in the war. Helen's been in the ward for, what's it, a month? It's or a month. A month. Uh, not to be too grim, but you can't not feed a baby for a month. And this is what I mean. So at, at some point in that period, Candyman has, has bottle. been bottle feeding a, a <laughs> child. And they don't put it on the screen for obvious reasons, but he has literally no. been bottle fe- feeding a baby. I think you'll find he's been, Ill. That that bottle is filled with honey. That baby has had a diet of honey for a month. No, it's just... Oh, you can't give honey to under one-year-old. Did you know that? Candyman doesn't care. <laughs> Candyman can. Sorry. That's a, that's a little parenting advice tip here. Do not give honey to a child under one. I okay. can't handle it. Right. So either way, whether it's honey or milk, <laughs> there's definitely been a scene where he's been holding a baby with a bottle in his hand. That's not the funny image. The funny image is him using one of those fucking bottle warmers and getting the powder and being like, that shit stinks. <laughs> like all of that. And him being like, do you microwave it? What do you do? And actually getting a bit nervous and like trying try to pick it up with his hook and knocking yeah, it on knocking the floor. It Testing it on his wrist. <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't like to watch a trailer before I've seen a film. I don't like it spoiled. Yeah, I disagree. I felt like What's I had to watch. Really yeah, I don't, so I don't like spoilers. I like going in completely with my mind clear. I and, hate not having seen the trailer. But because we were doing this, I watched the full trailer for the new movie that's just been made. Oh, it's good. And yeah, and the main character is clearly this baby. Yeah, yeah. And so we could yet find out 
what went on during that month because oh my, he was Candyman's baby. He's clearly becoming Candyman in this film. So, st- you know, we'll learn about what happened in that month, I think. So yeah. I, I know you said at the, the very start of this episode, it sounds like Tony Todd's involved. Yes. If his involvement is in nursing flashbacks. It could be nursing I'm flashbacks. excited. <laughs> because his mum, the baby's mum is in this film as well, same actress, and she doesn't seem to have aged a day. She hasn't, no. It's incredible. It's amazing. Vanessa Williams. Yeah. yeah. Can we have a scene where uh, Candyman is pushing a trolley around mother care <laughs> nice and also they're quite realistic with the baby because it throws up on vanessa williams and it's like and she's like oh let me get that and it's like that's they do that all the time and it's not like oh my god baby vomit yeah, of course like, candyman's had to change nappies as well mm-hmm. i mean there's, there's a whole other a story of over a month that yeah. baby has been shitting and eating. it's like it's like it's like Crying. a horror three it's like a horror three men and a baby <laughs> That's a, that's a great idea. We could, you could have Freddy, Candyman, Jason and Michael looking after a baby. Yeah. For... No one wants the job. Who's going to do the night feed? Someone step up. I'm got, tired. Got a movie here, I'm telling you. <laughs> so, Freddy, chop up the food for the baby. And just anyone listening, please don't give food to a baby. Do you not give you food have to, to give food to a baby. No, not food food. Not you chopped up food. Milk food only. If anyone's listening and going, have you heard? We need to stop feeding the baby. Stop feeding the baby. Yeah. Vicky's you said. do not feed. And Vicky's just said she's a great mum. <laughs> you just feed them cake. Yeah, just give them rock hard cake. Yeah, that's the only food you can give them. Uh, but, because um, I normally just go along with the logic of a movie. And I'm just like, whatever, whatever, whatever. This is cool. This is the next scene. Even I was like, definitely there has been nursing having to happen yeah. uh, with that baby. And I think if I'm thinking that, then like a lot of people are going, wow, it's a sort of weird thing to just leave out. It's a, Or it's such an... Um not lazy, but just an error because the reason they say to Helen's character, uh, the character of Helen, oh, you've been gone for a month, is so she can be like, oh, shit, and then sort of discover her husband now having shacked up with the girl she suspected him of having an affair with mm. at the start. And it's to show the passage of time and, and that, you know, he's moved on very quickly. But very. no one's. Quickly. Very quickly. But like we call it what it is. Trevor's a dick. Trevor is a dick. But no one's thought, but what about the baby in a month? Like, unless they are hanging on to, like, all oh, we'll do a film in the future where Candyman is burping a baby. <laughs> but also, also, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm really so, weird that this is, uh, like, uh, this is just, uh, uh, again, this is me suspending disbelief. I think with both the films we've done this week, you have to do that. And it's just, yeah, he's had a baby for a month. No. I don't no. think that baby's been particularly well looked after, but equally, I think Look, you're overthinking it to think he's doing all these things, like, you know, heating up milk. But he has to have fed the baby. Like, there is a logic that exists in a movie, whether it's, like, a horror movie or not. They, you, you, they make a point of he's, saying he's a magical the time. being. There'll be magical bees feeding the baby or something. Stop like, saying it! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So, hang on a second here. So, you're unhappy with the idea that the candy man has this baby, but you're happy with the introduction of magic bees. <laughs> You, you want magic bees in the movie. There are magic bees in this film. There they're not, are. They, but they're mm. not called magic bees. <laughs> they're just bees. They're not magic. They're, they're not, not normal bees. When he dies, bees come out. What difference does it make whether it's Candyman feeding the baby or your magic bees? The baby needs to be fed, not before it's one year old. I just you, don't think months, you should be too months. concerned with this. I am. But there's also, there's a really actual more valid question here, unsurprisingly, which is that <laughs> she's like killed the dog and the baby's missing and they're like, you're a suspect. We think you've murdered the baby. Yeah. Uh, but ideally... We'd like you to tell us we've knocked you out for a month. Uh, <laughs> That's true. We've knocked you out yeah. for a month. So the window of opportunity to find this child alive, we decided to drug you. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the month is the weird thing there, I think. Yeah. The fact that they felt the need to say the month so that you could have this thing with Trevor, where yeah. it actually feels, it doesn't feel like a month as a viewer. Even them saying it, I'm still thinking, well, that's just been a couple of days, really. Yeah. And so this, um, so she goes home and... Pink. 
And some some young girl is trying to paint Helen's home Mm, pink. Not the best actress. Uh, (laughs) Not the best painter. No one's ever painted like that before. (laughs) It's weird. It appears like she's a mad person who just starts in different bits of the room and then gets bored and moves on to an entirely different part of the room. She's very young and that's what young people are like, I suppose. Mm. Um, Am I the only person that thought such a huge missed opportunity for Helen to go back to her home through the medicine cabinet Mm. and be like Jack Nicholson in The Shining and be like Trevor and they go through like obviously Mm. why not like I know it doesn't really make any sense that would have been great she tried her door and it was locked and she Uh knew the apartment yeah definitely that would have been really good and also we need to improve her like a cool line um, because she's like what's the matter scared of something it's like no we can do better Oh, you mean at the very end? She does it when she sees Trevor, when she goes home, oh, and, she does, yes. and she, yeah, so yeah. we get the call back at the end. And I don't know what it is, but it's something about saying her name, or it's... I'm just going to Be careful. Be careful. That's good. I like that. That'll do. Magic be careful. Well, I've got some stuff about magic bees in a minute. I just want to ask a question. Did anyone at this point, because there's some... This is called a choir... Uh, that often comes in at this point, and it is literally one note away from this. Is that the Vicar of Dibley? No, it's Mr. <laughs> Bean! I swear, watch this movie again, and like every time the choir comes in, it or you're like, oh, it's Mr. No, it's not, it's a terrifying movie about a man, <laughs> about a man and his magic bees. And, but every time you think it's going to be Mr. Bean, and it's just an octave off. It's not Mr. Bean, it's Mr. B. Ugh. Oh. All right, so um, we've got Helen at the sort of uh, climax. She's with Candyman. She, I like this. She's like she's knackered looking because she's been in a psych ward for a million for a month. Sorry, um, but then when Candyman's talking to her, she's got this like full face of like screen idol makeup. Then she gets a full face of bees. Um, bees and, in the mouth is a good touch, though. Yeah, it's terrifying. How do you think they did that? Masks. <laughs> Put the little masks on the bees. <laughs> So I they could I, breathe in the mouth. I do have the answer. Little oxygen mask. I'm sure you do, but I'm interested <laughs> the in Vicky's theory. Got, yeah, well, the bees have got a, a very, very um, robust union uh-huh. and they are not crawling around in anyone's mouth without adequate PPE. <laughs> so that's why the, the budget is just like crazy they for bees. They did have a dressing room. Shut up. The bees had a dressing room. No, they didn't. They did. What, the, the change outside. into what? <laughs> what did they change into? So let me tell to you. To get their makeup Let done. me tell you the background. So Bernard Rose was watching a bloke called Norman Gary on Johnny Carson, who had an act where he would play the clarinet covered in bees, which sounds like a shit act. <laughs> uh, but he had synthesised queen bee pheromone and would cover himself in it so they wouldn't sting. So that's how they did the bees. He Ooh. said. He, so they got that guy in, worked on the scenes for days. Um, Gary was breeding immature bees in hives on the studio roof. Uh, they don't have any venom, so we used those. After every shot, he would vacuum them up in a little soft pouch and take them back to their dressing room. Um, he would take Tony Todd to this trailer to get him acquainted with the bees and and he locked him in there and said you've got to name some of them because then you'll be less threatened by them which Tony Todd did no need to lock him in though that's the part where I had the key in the lock that I'd be like I could you I'm I'm voluntarily going in this trailer to name bees On a second. <laughs> Don't start rocking it from the outside. And for this scene, when when the bees are in his mouth, they Tony has a, a, a dental dam, 
but one of the bees got through the dental dam and he said he had to do the scene, but he could feel it crawling to the back of his mouth. Oh, my God. And he said it was the most upsetting sensation. Um, he had negotiated a bonus of $1,000 for every sting during that scene and he got stung 23 times. Really? Yeah. Not a bad day. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I mean, if, if someone said to me, 23 bee stings, 23,000, I'd be like, in. Oh, in, 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 in. I just thought because I'm stupid, when you said they had no venom, I was like, well, they can't sting then. But that's not true, is it? They just can't give you the lasting thing. Okay, that's awful. Well, actually, I know. I, I, I think they, it probably wouldn't hurt because it's not the, 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 the barb on a bee's behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the pain. It is just the venom that causes the pain. Is that true? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, okay. there's, I didn't there's, mean to put you on the spot. There's a I lot of information here that, that could be questionable. I mean, when Chris said the guy was breeding bees on the roof, I was like, did they know about this? Like, or did he? was it this part of the movie? Or did they just go, dung up to the roof while we're filming because uh, there's nothing up there? <laughs> clarinet boys up there. I thought so, the music maybe would have pacified them. I thought the guy with the clarinet was like, he like played a Pied a, Piper of Bees. Thank you, exactly. Oh, like I was saying it was taking the piss. Right, not like that then. <laughs> Anyway, um, I think Helen decides she doesn't want to join Candyman in this sort of becoming a legend afterlife kind of situation. So she's going to save the baby. She crawls into a bonfire. She hooks a baby out of there. And this I did find uncomfortable again. She defeats Candyman ostensibly and she's got the baby. And it's a cool scene in that all her hair gets burned off and it's quite scary. But the baby's mum, Anne-Marie, then comes sort of running and it's like, ah, oh, that's that's her fucking baby. Like, this woman saves your baby and all your agency and everything that you've been up to in this month where your baby was missing, we know nothing about that. You don't get any hero moment. You don't get any action in this scene other than to see that Helen has saved your baby. Mm. And I just didn't. I didn't like that. Mm. No, I the, what's quite good though is that she. There's no point. Like, even though Helen has saved the baby, and in terms of the movie, it is kind of heroic because she's defeated Candyman. Yeah. At no point uh, does Anne Marie sort of come up, and there's no thank you to Helen. There's no even acknowledgement of Helen. She just takes her baby. Yeah. Because the last time she saw her, she was waving a meat cleaver. Yeah, her. and she chopped and, her dog's head off. Even though Helen has uh, has brought this baby back, Anne-Marie just grabs the baby and then it's just, it's all about the baby again, you know? As and, it should be. As it should, and that's what I'm saying, as it yeah, should be. that's true. I think, uh, uh, you know, there might have been a conversation where she was sort of required to sort of acknowledge what Helen had done for her and the fact they don't do that is great. They don't do that, but then they do have uh, Anne-Marie leading this community of people to Helen's funeral. Mm. But... But again, it's it's not clear... It's not necessarily like as a sort of as a thank you. I don't think that scene. It's no. almost like they're putting the the hook down there as a well, and that's that's it. Dumb because we think you might have been evil. Uh, we don't. Yeah, just... I thought they were paying their respects to her. I'm not but sure. No, you're right. No, maybe not. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Again, I'm sure we'll find out more in this in this new film. I feel like they they're, they're, they're going to draw a lot from from these final few scenes. Yeah. Um, and that's as much as I've got on this film. Oh, come on. What about oh. Trevor crying yeah, exactly. in the bathroom? Oh, no, shit, I forgot about that. That is the best bit, though. He's one of the best he's bits. He's really good in that scene. I mean, that he guy, Xander uh, yeah. he's always good at playing creeps, yeah. I think. Yeah, and yeah. and he's particularly effective in that scene. Because like you do he's... almost feel sorry for him. Um, um, what? No, do you? Yeah, well, well, he doesn't... He's 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 a he's an arsehole who's had an affair behind his sick wife's back. Mm. But he doesn't deserve to die for that. 
And that's what's coming. But he's he's been at it. Oh, yeah. he's, it's established that he's been having the affair for the entirety of Oh, well, the then film. he does deserve it. No. Kill them all. <laughs> Kill them all. Kill away. <laughs> Whoa there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, uh, no, I, I wrote, I was, because uh, I'd forgotten that last scene and I remembered it about 20 minutes before it happened because I was going... Oh, this is going to piss me off if Trevor doesn't die. So yeah. I was in a position where I was like, he better die. No, and it is yeah. very effective because he, he's crying in there. He's miserable, he's crying, and then he rests his head <laughs> on the mirror, and yeah. you're like, oh, uh, oh. Yeah, finally. Helen. Except I guess I, I was still expecting Candyman to come through, so I was pleasantly surprised when Helen did. Oh, no, he says Helen, though. He says, yeah, yeah. I, mean, times, I think yeah. before he said it, yeah. I guess the downside is that, you know, you've gone from the ominous-sounding Candyman to as a killer. What's her name? <laughs> Helen. It's, it's like same. Helen is when the... Candyman meets Helen. He's like Helen. <laughs> it's just funny. If, it, if, been... if someone says say Helen to the mirror five times, we're like Helen, 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 Helen. Not bothered. <laughs> if it had been Candyman, though, they could have called it a pre-credit sting. Please. That's not bad. It's, it's just not... I'm a bit bead out. Yeah. By this I mean, point. you what you did was you went you went too big too soon with yeah, magic with bees. Magic bees. <laughs> Everything is a come down from magic bees nursing Apology. a baby. <laughs> Apology. The not thing is, as magic well, bees nursing a baby. <laughs> I think as well they're talking about killing of Trevor. Yes. I'll talk about it more in the change. But if there's a way of connecting Helen's ostensibly her love story. The story of her love that sours with Trevor and Candyman's story, it would be better. But it isn't there. Like Helen's story is not on a parallel track with Candyman's in terms of their the love they have for their partner or whatever. But we'll get to it. Trevor could have been one of the descendants of the people who murdered Candyman. Yes. Oh, something. Oh, Magic Bees gets a pass, <laughs> but that idea is like, mm, uh, okay, really? Oh, I'm not going to live this down. Okay, no. Um, so, any more for any more? I have a little bit more, um, which yeah. I don't normally. I don't normally bring this to the meeting, but I do have a little something. Not a meeting, but okay. Uh, so, as we all know, we are waiting for what's being called a spiritual sequel, uh, which is directed by Nia DaCosta, or a spiritual bequel. A spiritual bequel directed <laughs> by Bea DaCosta. Am I right? Sorry, Nia DaCosta, that's such a fucking cheap shot. Um, written by Jordan Peele and Wynne Rosenfeld. But that's been put off a few times because of the world. Anyway, what I wanted to talk about was, do you know about Bernard Rose's sequel? Yes. Chris is nodding his head. Do you know about it, Alex? I, I do, but I'd like to hear it from your mouth. Okay. Uh, you need to tell the whole story, though. <laughs> I'll try. I've I've got the best, what I consider to be the best bits. It's amazing. He he, uh, just, he does call it, it's quite radical, is how it's he puts it. It's what he said, yeah, and it's fun. Um, so I'm taking this from an interview I read with him. So I'm going to quote, so I hope I get it right. Excellent. But he was contracted to write a sequel um, but he wanted to go on and do The Immortal Beloved instead. But anyway, he had to turn in a script because Candyman did better business than maybe Steve Golan thought it was going to do. So he was like, I need to see this script. So this is a quote from Bernard Rose. In my film, we've got Jack the Ripper style murders in the 90s. There's a secret railway station under Buckingham Palace, which led to a banquet hall where some members of the saxe Coburg family were feasting on naked women. I won't name them even because they're dangerous, those people. You know who I mean, the saxe Coburg gothers. <laughs> Google them. You'll find out they're still in power. And it's um, are we, it's okay to say this. They are the royal family or a branch of our royal family. Yeah. I don't think they eat people. And I think once you get into that, that leads you to a very, 
very dark place that I do not want to shed any light on because you just put it on the podcast. He said <laughs> no, these but... are dangerous people. Don't yeah. I don't want to say but who I they are. And I you're don't... saying who they are. No, 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 I was but... gonna leave that out. I don't want to Nick, project. Your one-upmanship has killed us all. <laughs> Nikki Crompton said this. <laughs> no, no, I'm distancing myself. I don't want to What's put that? onto Bernard Rose. What's that red dot on your forehead? <laughs> Like the QAnon, are they fucking coming for me? Um, anyway, so he pitches this to Steve Golan, and Steve's like, Where's Candyman? And Bernard says, Well, you know, I gave him a very logical answer. Didn't he die at the end of the first one? He fucking dies, man. And no one has ever acknowledged that except for me when I wrote the sequel. <laughs> By this point, Steve was ready to throw the fucking table at me, not entirely unjustifiably, I suppose. <laughs> because Steve Golan is like, I would like my sequel with Candyman in it. And all the reference to Candyman in this script is someone says, these, this murderer is a Candyman style oh, murderer. It's not just someone. Who says it, Vicky? Who? I don't know. It's Purcell, the professor. Oh, yeah. He's back. <laughs> We're not going to bring Candyman back, but we'll bring this British bloke, the real star of the movie. <laughs> So, I mean, that's it's it's one of those things. It's like the scene in Trainspotting, like how to not get a job. Like you've tried, <laughs> but you're not going to get that job. <laughs> I mean. I'd watch it though. Oh, I would. It yeah. sounds great. It does. Do you know, well, it feels like you could make that movie without having to call it Candyman Two <laughs> sure. as well. Yeah, you could. Do you know the uh, that uh, little Tudor hut in Soho Square? I do. It, yeah, that's supposed to be a secret passage to Buckingham Palace uh, that the Queen and uh, was it Princess Anne uh, used to uh, escape for a night of fun and frolics in Soho. I've oh, they that. made that film. They yeah, made yeah. that film about it that wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a secret railway but it is a secret passage uh, I'm calling that movie Candyman 2 <laughs> doesn't have Candyman in it uh, in fact there's no murders it's just about people walking down a passage Candyman 2 but beyond that sequel the two things that I found out that I liked uh, doing my research was that the studio wanted Eddie Murphy or an Eddie Murphy type to play Candyman what's that supposed to be <laughs> um, which would have been a very different film I guess he was trying to get into horror at that time he did that Vampire, Vampire in Brooklyn. Brooklyn yeah that's awful um, <laughs> And also, uh, Tony Todd says on the commentary that a few years ago he was pitched Candyman v Leprechaun and he turned it down. Good move. <laughs> Good man. Well done. Yeah, that sounds terrible. That's like, you know, we've got Freddy versus Jason. Mm-hmm. Candyman versus Leprechaun. Fuck off. <laughs> well, he said it was about a month after that film came out. So, Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the actual sequels? Have you seen them? I feel like I have. Yeah, I feel like I saw the second and one. That's what I think. And I think that's what I thought this was because mm. this wasn't the film I remembered. And wouldn't have watched not it. about you? No. 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 Uh, but I will watch this new one. I love the actor that they've cast in the lead. Yeah. Uh, he's amazing. And yeah, that, that trailer really got the me excited. It just for looks it. like a classy affair. Mm. Like it looks good. And I like the way they combined the Philip Glass music with Beyonce singing amazing. Say My Name. Like, amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it felt good. <laughs> lovely, lovely. So, yeah, that's it. Well, shall we do the bits? Uh, I'd bloody love to do the bits, yep. Right then, you can go first. What was your best scene? Uh, my best scene is... Uh, I've... I got two, uh, very different tonally. Uh, one is the horrible story about the child having his genitals ripped off by the Candyman in the public toilet. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I just think it's it's you love it for that reaction though, which is my reaction when I saw it, which is just like this is it's it's that classic thing of like of of not actually showing much of it. So you don't see the attack. You you just see this kid, and then you hear the story about it, and the way it's done, it 
it just makes you realize like that this isn't a silly slasher movie that there is real sort of like dread to be had here and real horror and i think it's great and it's that or it's helen 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 <laughs> helen helen <laughs> whammy what's up bitch <laughs> <laughs> What about you? Uh, I think when she wakes up covered in blood with the dead dog, yeah. um, it's all kind of shot handheld and the tables are turned on her and us. And it just really shocks me. And uh, I think it's very effective and it, it sort of transform, transforms the movie from that point on. So I love that turning point. Uh, mine is also the toilet scene flashback <laughs> because it's very upsetting. The mother's reaction and running and the man running towards the bathroom to rescue the child and it just plays on a lot of um because it's a kid who's like, it, it, even though you don't see it, it's the kid basically harassing his mum yeah. because he needs the toilet and her yeah. sort of dismissing him. Just go over there. Yeah, and that's not, so dark. Yeah. Like, and it, just the innocence of like, and also she was annoyed with him and that's the last thing she said to him. Ooh, and mm-hmm. like, and also the innocence of like, go and use that public bathroom and stop annoying me and I'm trying to do this. I've got all this going on and mm-hmm. I'm trying to do the shopping and the look on her face when she realises that it's gone wrong and it's not her fault, but it's it won't feel like that. It's awful. Imagine if like, Imagine if the last thing you fed your kid was that cake. I need uh, to. Re- I, need, I should ring home and find out <laughs> because it's still on the kitchen shelf. So, <laughs> uh, most valuable, whatever, Chris. Uh, Tony Todd's voice. Um, as an actor, he's not given a huge amount to do here, but he does so much, and he brings great dignity to that character. Um, so, as an actor, I really think he elevates. The material. And I think it's a shame we were talking about, I didn't mention this earlier, but we were talking about, you know, the pressures maybe on them to make a film that was palatable to white audiences. And I love the sort of um, the stuff when he's carrying her to the funeral, to the pyre, and there's, and there's the cameras going around them. And that was cut down because the studio basically said, oh, there's too much romance between a white character and a black character and audiences won't watch this. And I'm gutted they didn't get to tell that aspect of the story they wanted to. They, they were worried as well it was too Beauty and the Beast. And as Bernard Rose says, that was quite a big hit. It's not a problem if, you know, we are telling a Beauty and the Beast story here. Yeah. But uh, Tony Todd's voice is phenomenal. Yes. What about you, Alex? Uh, yeah, you had dignity. I had elegance and majesty uh, mm. were the adjectives I used to describe his performance as Candyman. But it's Tony Todd as well. And uh, a special mention to Vanessa Williams, who plays Anne-Marie, because I thought... Um, she's just like the way she switches from being suspicious of Bernadette and Helen at the start and sort of being like, what, what do you want? And then she just sort of warms to them and realizes, and the transformation in that scene, I think is, is really good. So I liked her a lot. Yeah. My answer is the same word for word, Tony Todd and Vanessa Williams. She should have more to do, but uh, cause it's her baby, but she gives it everything with what she's given. Um, and if you could change anything, Alex. So, uh, my change is the fact that I I think there needs to be a bit more fucking clarity in the mm. final act about what his plan is, what his relationship to Helen is, what he wants to do, who has to die. She has to die, but he has to die as well, or one of them has to die. I'm just a bit confused. Like He sort of like he, he kisses her with bee mouth, and <laughs> and then she wakes up on her own, and then he's put the baby in the bonfire, I guess, to lure her into the bonfire, but he's going to go in the bonfire anyway because they both have to die. And then he can die in a bonfire even though he's this magical killer, uh, but fire still kills him. And then she escapes, so his plan has been foiled because he's dead, but she's not... I'm a bit unsure about what the legacy is going to be because it seems to be that he's saying, 
will be this thing together. So they're both going to be like the Candyman, but then he dies, so she just becomes the new Candyman, but called Helen. I don't really understand what's going on, and I think it's a shame because everything to that point has been very good. Agreed. What about you? I love Philip Glass, and I love his music here. It gives this film such a sweeping romance and intensity and beauty. But there's an instrument in the song that plays at the very start of the film that sounds just like my microwave going off. (laughs) And it kept fooling me during this film because I watched it a couple of times and it's played twice. So I would just, can you just get rid of that instrument? (laughs) I'm I'm going to argue that this film has brought more joy to people than your microwave. So maybe change your microwave. Yeah, but I've looked into that. A, they're really expensive at the moment and it's hard to find one that fits in the cubby hole I've got. Can I ask what you use a microwave for? I can't believe you've still got a microwave. Do you not have a microwave? No, I haven't had one for uh, easily. Speed. Years. Speed is what I, I use it for. Speed. I eat, I eat soup in there. So. Cooking speed. <laughs> I eat I, soup in there regularly. You eat, okay, you haven't got a hob. I'm just saying, you, I don't think you it's need quicker one. quicker in a microwave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, like, I don't use it a lot, but like, you can, like, if, I want, um, like, if I want a hot milk... In the evening. Like a baby. <laughs> like, a, like a baby being nursed by magic bees. I, like all, Do you really drink hot milk? I, no, but I use it for my coffee in the morning. Oh, I'll have a milk, I'll have a, oh that is a good idea. No, so I, I love hot milk and coffee. Right. I can't have it because oh. it takes too long on the hot. I'm being shamed yeah, for using microwave. Because it takes too long on the hot. <laughs> exactly. That's why you have a microwave. I'm not being shamed for using a microwave. No, I'm just surprised. That's what, I just think I think they had their moment and I didn't realise that they were sort of still up and ready. It's not That's like not... a Breville sandwich maker. I like, wish I had one uh, of them. Yeah, great, actually. <laughs> they had their moment and they clung on. So you've done the th- you've done your thing. You've said your microwave. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> my change is drawing on yours, Alex. Let's bring together all these disparate strands and build a bit of connective tissue between Helen and Candyman. So, and the the mirrors thing might be a good place to start because the, it, does he climb through the medicine cabinet because it's a quirk of the building, or is there a way to thematically draw that in? So Tony Todd is a very very striking, good looking man. So if Candyman, before he died, maybe he was proud of how he looks. Maybe he was a little bit vain and all the rest of it. And so then you tie in the theme of a mirror to his perception of himself. Alternatively, let's get rid of a shoemaker. His dad was a confectioner. Candyman makes sense. Uh, Or work it with the relationship. So Candyman was an artist who was lynched, who was killed for his forbidden love. Helen is a researcher with a cheating husband. The two things are not the same. So try and dovetail them together. That's my change. And get rid of that microwave noise. And obviously yeah. get rid of that yeah. microwave noise. And, and just give the bees more to do. <laughs> give the bees give more the to bees do. Because it is about do. bees. Mm, it really is. But it's not. It, it should be, though. Uh, magic bees. Uh, a lot of a lot of magic bees. Uh, right, that's Candyman done. Oh, interesting one this week. Quite excited to see which way everyone goes. Um, I'm kind of surprised at which way I've gone. Um... But let's do the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! So, these were your choices, Christopher. Oh, yes. I think I want to hear Alex first. Thank you. (laughs) Right. I don't know. Um, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Did we all go into this one not being sure? Yeah. Well, no. I oh, was. You... Well, I was absolutely certain about what I was going to pick before, mm. and it's changed. Excellent. That's really good. Um, which, uh, again, I'm really surprised at. So, um, Nightmare on Elm Street terrified me as a kid. Uh, I grew up with Freddy Krueger as the boogeyman du jour of my youth, and I love him. Candyman, I think, is a much scarier film now 
Uh, granted, there's like a, nearly a decade between when these two were made, but in my opinion, Candyman absolutely holds up much better today as a horror movie. It's grim and bleak and it's scary. But then, you know, I flip back and go, I'll never forget the nights that I was terrified of going to sleep with Freddy Krueger. But ultimately, I'm voting for what I think is the better film that I enjoyed more watching at the weekend and I think is fundamentally scarier. And so I'm picking as the winner, which goes against what I thought I would be picking. I'm picking Candyman. Mm, interesting. No. Um oh this this isn't very good television. Um <laughs> Do you want me to say mine now? Um, Will that help? Yeah, go on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um I think there are times where Candyman is off the hook. Um Jesus. Oh, Vicky, you go. <laughs> I, I, Jump in here, Vicky. Jump in any time. Never, ever say that again. <laughs> Please don't. I just came up with that as well. Uh, I like that it's a thriller and it becomes a horror and then it's a grand tragedy and you've got a bit of social commentary in there. But it does, I think the NAACP is right, it does tap into that white people's fear of the other, of the of, of, of black people, um, specifically a black man in pursuit of a white woman. I think it needs to do more to contextualise that and what's going on at Cabrini Green. Um, I think although we've got this genuinely sympathetic villain, I think it do, it is taking black tragedy and sensationalising it into white fiction. So I think there are problems there, but I do also think it gets more right than wrong. And Nightmare on Elm Street, what a concept. Um, you know, how vulnerable we are when we're asleep. It's genius. He's in your bedroom invading your dreams. Um, and I think that makes up for the melodrama and some of the questionable performances. And you've got this very charismatic killer. Um, and as Robert England says, which really upset me, he said he, he knows your fears, he knows your weaknesses, and he knows what's in your underwear drawer. Um, and I think that makes him the ultimate boogeyman, and that's why I'm going for Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Oh, so you've got to, it's coming down to you now, Vicky. Victoria, All right, I'll be really quick. final vote. I agree with everything you both of you have said, and I want to pick Candyman because I think it is a scarier film, but... This is what it comes down to. If you played me a clip, which you have done, of Freddy Krueger and Candyman, I would be still more terrified of Freddy Krueger as a grown-up woman. And so I'm going to pick A Nightmare on Elm Street. A Nightmare on Elm Street is our champion this week of the augmented appendage altercation. Wow. How are you both feeling now it's gone that way? I mean, you both voted for it, so... (sighs) I was, nah, but it could have gone either way for me. I mean, Candyman is such a beautiful film. Just scary. Just actually scary. Yeah. It's got a sense of dread about it that, like Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, I just, it was a bit silly. Yeah. <laughs> For the is. first time in my life, I watched something that I was used to be terrified by and went, ah, oh, all right. Not a bad film. That's what we're here to do. Spoil your favourite movies. <laughs> okay, right then. Uh, so, our winner is Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Victoria, it's your choices next week. Remind us of the clue you gave for these choices on Monday's episode. The... Sorry, I believe it was Picasso's clue. It is Picasso's <laughs> yeah. clue. Thank you. I recognise the quote. Yeah, he wrote Hamlet, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Something about Denmark. <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> just, you're just desperate to prove you know yeah, exactly yeah Denmark <laughs> something is written in the state of Denmark yeah something is written in the state of magic bees <laughs> alright the clue was learn the scary rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist therefore um, Alex you will watch 
Scream. Okay. <laughs> and Chris, you will watch The Cabin in the Woods. Can I watch Scream as well? <laughs> yes, you can. I, know, I, I recommend you do. Otherwise, it'd be weird. So. <laughs> and oh, I'll watch it. them as well, actually. Love it. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good pairing. That is a good pairing. I think it's just called uh, Scream, though, isn't it? The movie. It's called Scream. What did I say? Nothing. You were right. I was going to, I was, I thought, I, I was actually going to correct you on the what other one. What the fuck one. is happening? I just thought, I thought it was called Cabin in the Woods. I didn't know it was called The Cabin in the Woods. I was, it's yes. It's called The Cabin in the Woods. It's called The Cabin in the Woods and it shouldn't be. We, we can start off with that next week. <laughs> Don't put the twice in that <laughs> title. There's no need for it. Yeah. Uh, and then I was literally halfway through going, it's actually called The, and I looked up and he went, The Cabin in the Woods. Uh, right. You screw- came out of that really badly. I know. You I did. sound ridiculous. I know I did. I'm, listen, I, I'm sounding more ridiculous and I'll sound even more ridiculous again. I can live with that. I'm not the one who fucking talked about magic bees for half an hour. So, uh, yeah, we're doing Cabin in the Woods, The Cabin in the Woods and Scream uh, on next week's uh, penultimate Halloween countdown special. Uh, We still would love you to vote for our final Halloween countdown special. Nah, that will have been and gone. Will it? Yep. Really? Yeah, it's up for the week that the Wicker Mans are up. So oh. the people listening to this will now know what the witch films are. We just don't know. Okay. We'll probably cut all this bit out from the minute I mentioned it. <laughs> no, the scream. <laughs> just go to act just go to at Clash Pod and uh you can see what's won. It will be the pin tweet. What I like is uh, we start shaky and then <laughs> we get steadily worse. Well, uh, it's hot. We've been in here for three hours. <laughs> uh, right then, thank you very much for listening. Congratulations to a nightmare on Elm Street. Sorry, the Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> uh, do check us out on Twitter at ClashPod and email us if you so wish. We are show at ClashPod.com. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to us if you can and rate and review us where possible. Bye bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. 